Well, good morning. So glad you're here with us at the orchard, whether you are here in the house or whether you are streaming with us online. We are glad to have you for this Easter Sunday. And the question always is on Easter, um, what does it mean to us? What actually happened? It seems kind of unbelievable, but you're in good company if you think it's unbelievable. It's amazing that Jesus told his disciples over and over again, explicitly, I'm going to die and I must be dead for three days before being rose again. So he died and three days passed. And you would think there would be some disciple there, right? Waiting. Like, is, is it true? Is it true? You would think somebody, one of the 12 would have been there to, to see if he, was, if he actually was telling the truth, but, but they'd watch him be crucified so terribly, humiliated so bad, they, they didn't, even though he told them I would raise again in three days, no one was there. The only people that showed up were some women who showed up. They didn't show up to see a risen savior because they showed up with burial spices for a corpse. It was unbelievable to them too. And so here in our modern culture, it's always the question of, you know, how, how, how can I believe that? And what does it mean for my life? And I have a challenge today. I want to do two things. I want to give those of you who've heard the story a thousand times some history and some things and some context from deep in the Old Testament to understand why he had to die and why when he died mattered. And if you're new with us, you're a guest, I want to explain to you today why the death and resurrection of Jesus means so much to you, to us, how, how it's not just some irrelevant thing that happened 2,000 years ago and a bunch of rules that are kind of outdated. No, no, no. It's a movement that is relevant to your heart and your life today. And there are some of you today, you were dragged here and, and you know, here you are and hopefully you got some coffee and some donuts to, to keep you awake. Some of you are here today and, and let's be honest, um, if you could be honest, there are places in your life where you need God to move. You need God to come through for your own health, your own heart, finances, perhaps in your marriage, the person you're sitting next to or the person who is not here. We have places where we need God to come through. And Easter is where we hear a story that is relevant to our hearts, our lives, our health, our marriages, our souls, even today. So with that, I want to jump in and say, there's, I'm going to go into some historical context. The, Jesus is crucified up here in the New Testament. We're going to go way back here into the depths to see why and when it happened. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that when Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey to, to, to the week of Passover, he was going to be crucified and he was going to rise again. As he did that, as he arrived, and that week, he is going to fulfill countless Old Testament prophecies, prophecies from some of the first pages, thousands and thousands of years before, prophecies throughout here, hundreds of years before, before they ever heard his name, he fulfilled so many prophecies that week. And for this, I'm going to turn back to Exodus 12. 3,500 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus, or 2,000 years was Jesus and 35,000 years, 30 million years ago, let me just... Welcome to the orchard. Math and numbers were always my strong suit, right? <laughs> 3,500 years ago, we're going to travel back to Exodus 12, and there we find God's ancient people, the Hebrews, and they are in slavery, in captivity in Egypt, and they are under the brutal bondage thumb of Pharaoh, who for generations has, has been killing them. And then he had a state-sanctioned law that said, if any Hebrew baby is born, and it's a male, you take it from that mother and you throw it into the Nile, to the Nile gods. 
And so to be a Hebrew at this time was dark and terrifying and scary. And God is showing up to rescue his people. He's going to show himself to be mighty. He's going to show them his power. He's going to be revealing his power to Pharaoh, who they believe is a god king, to the Egyptians who worship all these gods and goddesses, and to his people, the Hebrews, who for generations have been in slavery and forgotten who they were. He's going to have one final judgment on Egypt that set them free. But it's so strange, right here in Exodus 12, in the midst of all these, you know, the plagues and the frogs and all these things happening, God like pauses and says, let's take a little pause here. I want to tell you about some holidays. And then he gives us a couple chapters of like how you do the tablecloths and how the details. I mean, literally, here in the midst of this judgment and freedom, he goes through these holy days and says, from now on, you will celebrate these until the end of an age. For generation and generation to come, I'm going to do something so mighty in your midst that for thousands of years and your children and their children and beyond will celebrate what I'm about to do. God explains to them how to celebrate this holy week called Passover. Now, many of you may have not ever heard of it or ever celebrated Passover. Some of you have. But Passover is this holy week where they would, back then, get a blameless lamb. They would tend it in their house for four days, inspect it, and then they would sacrifice it for the Passover, for what God was doing in Egypt. And in chapter 12... God gives very clear instructions on how to start this holiday off. And it's different than our holidays because God tells them on the 10th day of Nisan, a very specific day, to go and pick out a blameless lamb. This, this, holiday, this is called Lamb Selection Day. And if you were the head of a household, you would go pick out the lamb for your family and you would inspect it. It looks like a good one. And then you were to take the lamb back to your house and for four days, that lamb would be inspected because you don't want any faults on this lamb. And so it's, it's called, it was lamb, four days of lamb inspection to make sure that it was blameless, to make sure that it didn't have any faults, which then would lead to the actual night of this ancient holy day, Passover. And on this holy day, God tells his ancient people thousands of years before Jesus was ever even on the earth that he's going to strike the nation of Egypt. You see, they have killed the sons of Hebrews, of the Hebrews for generations, and God is now going to bring judgment on the sons of Pharaoh. But God is going to leave mercy open. He's going to leave a mercy. He's going to allow a way for them to be saved out from this. He tells the people that once you've chosen this lamb, after you've inspected it and make sure there's no, no spots or anything, it's, it's blameless, that then on Passover night, you're to sacrifice the lamb on that evening, and you're to put the blood of that lamb on your door. Now, listen to what God says in Exodus 12, 13. God says, put the blood on your doorposts. It will serve as a sign for you, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word Passover, that there is innocent blood on the door, and so God's judgment passes over. The original language says to put it on the two doorposts and on the top. And we have a picture of this. I'll show you. That would be the two sides up there on the sides and then the lintel or the mantle up on top and it would, it would drip down. So that's what their door would look like. As you would, on Passover, you would put the blood of the lamb there on the door. That's where we get that term. We have the house with the blameless lamb on the outside of it. God's judgment will pass over the shed blood of a blameless lamb, saving those that are inside. 
Now, the Holy Week of Passover was established by God way back then, and it was vital to their faith. It was something they celebrated generation upon generation, even when they had a tabernacle, and then they had a temple. They would continue this, but here's what's wild. Um, they, they did this um, until God told them to do this and celebrate this until a time, until an age when it would be fulfilled, until it would be completed. And so for thousands of years, they did just that. They did the same thing over and over. Fathers, sons, grandmothers, great-grandmothers and beyond. They'd pick out the lamb. They would inspect it. They, they would pass over. They would put it on their doorpost for generations, including when Jesus was on the earth. Jesus celebrated these ancient holy days. Jesus celebrated Passover. In fact, for 32 years, he celebrated it. First as an infant and then a child, and then as a grown man, he would have participated in Passover because God commanded them to continue with honoring these holy days until the time when something or someone would fulfill it. But how do you know when it's fulfilled? Well, here's why the final week of Jesus' life Again, we've heard, you may know that Jesus was on a cross, you may know that Jesus rose again, but why this way? And why at this time? Well, at this time when Jesus, the final week of his life, he's traveling to Jerusalem, the religious leaders and zealots, the zealots, they want him dead, but they're blind to the fact that Jesus is fulfilling their holy days. These prophecies that they have memorized and they've known for generations, he's fulfilling them right before their eyes, but they're too blind to see it. Passover week is mere days away. It was the 10th day of Nisan, which is the day mentioned by, to Moses and the ancient people when they should go select their lamb. It was that specific day, we are told, that Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem uh, declaring himself. You see, while everyone else was selecting their personal lamb for their house or a personal lamb for their, their group, or, and even the high priest of the temple, he would select the special Passover lamb, the one that he would sacrifice for all the people. While they're all selecting their Passover lambs, the chosen, selected Passover lamb of God, Jesus, was riding into town, declaring himself, fulfilling lamb selection day. And then the people would take their lambs to their homes and they would inspect them. And for the next four days, Jesus went to the temple and he, he, would, he was inspected there. He was scrutinized. He was debated and questioned by the religious priests and by, by the people. They wanted to bring charges against Jesus. He had done too much. He was taking control of the religion away from them. He was speaking these new things. And they wanted him arrested, but they couldn't find anything that he was guilty of. So they had to falsify charges. In fact, during this lamb inspection time, it was that's when they had Jesus arrested. And they brought him in this trial before Pilate. And they pled their case, and Pilate, who was in charge, he has to say, yeah, we'll kill him. Uh, he says in Luke 23, verse 4, Pilate turned to the leading priests in the crowd and said, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault. He couldn't find anything Jesus was guilty of. He found Jesus, the one who was presented on lamb inspection day, to be blameless, Jesus, having fulfilled the selection day, is now fulfilling the inspection. The Son of God, without sin, without blemish, there's no charge they could bring against him. Pilate said, I find no fault. Now, those words are very interesting because they're the very same words that the high priest would say over the Passover lamb that they would be sacrificing in the temple 
as the grand finale. The lamb that would be taken for that, that night for all the people. The high priest, he would inspect that lamb every day. They would scrutinize it because he had to, at the last minute, be able to confidently say, I find no fault in this lamb. I find no fault. So finally, we get to the Passover evening where the whole nation Remember the pilgrim, there was millions of pilgrims in Jerusalem at this time, all gathered for this holy day. They're remembering back to when, to when God saved them and delivered them, and they're looking forward to a time when the Messiah would come and save them again. It was the same evening that the high priest in the temple would shed the blood of the Passover lamb for the forgiveness of all the people. Now, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb that the, the high priest was a part of, it was the culmination of the whole week. It was like the moment that the people would make this long pilgrimage to, to get a glimpse or to be a part of it. The moment the blood was shed so that their sins of the nation would be forgiven. It was the moment the entire city would, the city would pause. They would almost hold their breath. They would lean in. And with their whole hearts, they would participate in the holiness of this sacred moment that had been happening for generation upon generation. And according to tradition, this final Passover lamb in the temple, the pure lamb that had been selected previously by the high priest and, and, and been found clean, it would be sacrificed at a, a very specific time, the ninth hour. And there were many priests at that moment who had to, there were all kinds of jobs. It all had to happen just right according to the traditions that it had always happened. And so the high priest, the one who was in charge of it, he would, he would stand over the lamb and he would squeeze it between his legs on the side to hold it in place. It had been done this way for thousands of years. These priests had been trained up and, and they had taken the place of priests who had gone before them. It had always happened this way on this day. For generations, people made the pilgrimage to witness this. And just the right moment, there was a priest who would be watching the sun and the time. He would indicate to a priest who was holding a shofar horn. He would blast the trumpet. And the high priest would then put one hand upon the blameless lamb. And he would say, I find no fault. So that people could hear. And with that, he would reach down with his other hand holding a knife. And he would shed the blood of the Passover lamb, as they had always done. And at that moment, as the blood would be pouring out for the sins of the people, the high priest would do something interesting. It speaks of this, that he would spread his arms wide and shout for all gathered to hear, it is finished, to announce that the Passover lamb had been slain. Did you know, meanwhile, at that very moment, the ninth hour, it is recorded, the ninth hour. Only 300 yards from where that priest stood with that lamb, outside the city on a hill, Jesus at that very moment raised himself up on a cross. And Matthew says, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He died. The high priest is in the temple 300 yards away, and he declares, it is finished. Now, what did Jesus cry out? We know this because the apostle John, disciple John, was there. He heard it and he records it. And as the blood was shed from the Passover lamb over in the temple, and as it breathed its last, as the high priest stepped back and said, it is finished, and the sins of the people forgiven, it's at that moment that Jesus, our final Passover lamb, at his last moment, <laughs> heaving his body up, pulling in a choking voice, 
declared with arms wide like a high priest, it is finished. And he gave up his life. Now, what was it Jesus was finishing? You see, Jesus is our high priest. And just like the priest had done in the the temple for generations, Jesus declared that the Passover Passover lamb had been slain. It is finished. But Jesus, he was the true and final Passover lamb. And because of his shed blood, we never need another sacrifice for forgiveness. We never need penance. We never need more punishment for forgiveness. It's been paid. It is finished once and for all. God made right through Jesus. No longer is there any need for sacrifice for salvation because it had been shed. And not just for an ancient people, but for all people. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of Passover at the very moment of Passover. I want to show you something quite extraordinary that goes back to the Old Testament, deep in Exodus, when Moses told them, there is the door. What did did God tell Moses? Have them take the blood of the lamb and put it on the side. And they would paint one side, and then they would paint the other side. And then they would take some blood of that shed lamb's blood, and they would put it on the top, on the lintel, on the mantle, and it would would drip down. It would have three places of blood and a fourth where it would fall. But Jesus fulfilled Passover perfectly. He he was the lamb that was selected. He was inspected. He was blameless. Jesus, our Savior, perfectly fulfilled the requirements for Passover, this ancient holy day. I never want you to see this the same again when you read about what Jesus had done because he is our Passover lamb who forever took the sins of those who follow him away. Perfectly fulfilling. Perfectly fulfilling. You see, they would put the blood in the old days to cover their homes, but not for us. We don't cover our homes, it covers our hearts so that when God sees your soul, he sees his son's blood and he passes over in judgment. And your soul is saved here on earth, but also saved in the age to come. Jesus fulfilled every requirement needed for your salvation. Why? So why? Because God loves you. And the God who was making a way back then, who decided to make a way by sending his son Jesus now, and in Romans 5, 8, and 9, it says this, that God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus the Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't didn't come when you were good. He came for us when we were all still in our sin. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation and judgment. For those in Jesus, there is no judgment left. There is no condemnation. There is no penance. There is no earning. There's no shame. There's nothing. It has been covered. It is finished. He declares that over you today, that you don't need to keep living in the shame. Some of us are living in the shame of our past sin, things we've done, things that have been done to us. He says, it is finished. You don't have to keep living in the shame of that because of what he did on the cross for you. He took the shame of that. You do not have to be defined by your sins because you're defined by his sacrifice. 
You don't need to keep striving to be a good enough person. You will never be a good enough person to earn your way into God's eternal life. You can't. Why? Because it's finished. Jesus did for us what we can never do on our own. You cannot go to heaven based on your good works. All the work necessary was already done on the cross and in the empty tomb. It is finished. And we don't need to live in hopelessness. Some of us have lost hope because of uncertainty and circumstances that are crushing, and I understand that. But we don't have to live in hopelessness because he has a future for us. It is finished, and in Jesus, we have a certainty that we have heaven someday, and he calls us to a new purpose today. That Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, blameless, sinless. He preached, he healed, he lived, he died, and he rose again. But listen, it's not the dying that sets him apart. It's not the cross that sets him apart. The thousands were killed on Roman crosses. It's the fact that he said, I'm going to be resurrected. And he did it. That's what sets him apart. And on Sunday morning, when the stone was rolled away, hope walked out of that empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus should give each of you, no matter your circumstance, hope today. No matter how hopeless, no matter how lost, no matter how bound by vice, no matter what is going on in your life, because of what God did, because what Jesus walked out of that tomb, there should be hope for you today. The Bible says the same exact power that raised him from that tomb is for those who love and believe in Jesus. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for you who believe. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that we celebrate on this morning that resurrected a Savior is for you. In fact, in the past two weeks of the orchard, we have seen undeniable miracles. And I've heard account and account of other miracles that have been happening in our midst with people. Undeniable. Our own pastor, Stacy, our children's pastor, who's, who's not here. You may have heard, you may not have heard. But she suffered a, a heart attack and she was given, I, the one doctor, her husband was telling me a doctor said 5% chance to survive. And of that 5% chance of survival, um, the chance of full recovery, they didn't have a number for it, even after therapy. And we prayed in faith. And the final prayer that night we prayed was, uh, Father, would you have her miraculously wake up tomorrow and ask, what happened? And her husband, Lane, goes, well, that's what happened. And so she is home. And she's going to get further testing to find out what did happen. Because she's there, fully, a miracle. I was talking to another doctor there, and I said, I said medically, what happened? And he said, medically, we don't have a term for what happened, but I think you do. You do. That God moved in power. And listen, we're in America. Science rules. But we have to know that God of the Bible does mighty miracles that confound and that surprise and that blow our imaginations. We have another staff member dealing with cancer. And in the middle of her treatment, suffering through those, she went in for a, she had to go to the ER. She went in for, they checked her while she was in there and they found that the cancer was completely and utterly gone. Gone. They simply couldn't find it. Emails have been coming in. Stories have been coming in about miracle babies growing in wombs where, where doctors have said, sorry, this baby will not thrive. We'll be born stillborn. And it is, it is, it, they, they go, this does not look the same as it did. 
We have just so many stories of God moving, of God, God, God not only moving in our health and doing miracles there, but God moving in, mar- in marriages and doing miracles there, and God moving in people's vices and addictions and, and bringing freedom. He is the God who still does these things, and he's doing them in our midst. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is for you and perhaps wants to work in you, in your life, in your marriage. God is overcoming percentages and odds by his mighty power, his power that rose Jesus from the dead. So I want to ask you, what miracle do you need in your life today? In a room this size and online, wherever you are listening, there are odds that you need a miracle in your body, in your relationship, in your past whatever it would be. And at the end of this service, I'm going to be up front over here. We're going to have some other elders and and, and trusted prayer people up front and maybe in the back. If you see somebody standing, they look like they're going to pray for you, just walk up and start asking them. If they don't know what they're doing, just maybe they'll pray for you anyway. No, but we we have people people stationed around. We want to, listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that the God who moves continues to move in your life for you. And so there's one more way that Jesus moves. There's one more way that this all applies to you, because maybe you don't need a miracle in your health or in your marriage or whatever, but there is a miracle available to you that when Jesus rose from the grave, hope raised with him, and hope is available today. And I want to say this very, very closely. If you are close to giving up in life, there is hope for you. Do not give up, because God has not given up on you, and he has more for you. No matter what kind of life you have lived before you heard these words, there is no sin you have committed that is too egregious, too bad for the grace of God to forgive. None. There is no anxiety that you live in that is too deep that, that his, his peace can't pull you out of. There is no depression you have sunk into that is too dark that his light can't find you. There's no past that is so ugly and so messed up and, oh, if you only know what I did, if they only knew. There's no past that's so bad that his present love can't forgive you and cleanse you and forgive you. There's no present that's too complicated or too messed up. No way out that his salvation can't rescue you. There's no future so hopeless that he cannot find you with his purpose. And today, he gives you an invitation. He walked out of the tomb, but he wants your soul to walk out of a tomb, some of you, because you've never made the decision to choose faith in Jesus. You've heard about it, maybe, whatever, but, but maybe today, hearing the history, is the Spirit speaking to you. Listen, Jesus has an offer for you that is real and tangible, where he wants your heart, your spirit, to walk out of a tomb into a new life. As he says, you become a new creation. His spirit fills you. So he invites you this. He invites you to place your life, your past, your vices, your pain, your fear, your sin, your hopes. He he invites you to place everything you are and give it to him. Declare him as savior and receive eternal life and true life here on earth. Salvation. Here's what Jesus does. He gives us forgiveness in our past. He gives us peace in our present. And he gives us hope for the future. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. That you can have that moment where you step into true life and forgiveness because of what he's done. Others of you here, you, you might have prayed that at some camp or some day long ago. It's been a while. 
And man, whoa, you've wandered. I mean, we have some professional sinners in here. I'm one of them, I know. Welcome to the club. You, you may have believed at some point, and you're back in church today going, oh gosh, it's been bad. <sighs> Listen, you can never wander too far from God's love. And Father God does not wear a frown for his children. It's about time you showed back up. Come skulking in here to church if these people knew. Those are not his words. Those words come from a very different place. The Father God welcomes you with open arms and says, Welcome home, my daughter, my son. All is forgiven. Come. So whether this is your first time to pray or whether you've prayed years in the past and you want to reaffirm, I want you to pray with all your heart and with your voice. And I want you to repeat after me these words. Let's pray. Say, Father God, I need you. I know Jesus lived, died. I believe he rose again. I give you my heart, my sin. Jesus, be my Savior. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't take communion yet. We're going to take that in a minute. But I think a correct response to this as we go into a song is for you, some of you to stand and worship and praise God for what he has done. And for others of you, if you'd like prayer, you'll find some of us up front and out there in the back. We want to pray for you.